So you've probably seen it like on your Facebook, as you're going through your Facebook, as you're going through uh, just your online stuff, you've probably seen the commercials for Ancestry.com, right? Or the 23andMe where you're like, hey, I can find out the DNA test to find out am I connected to anyone like really, does anyone like, as far as you know, are you connected to anyone famous like a king, a queen? Yeah? Pre which president? Uh, Adams. Yeah. The second one, Adams. He's kind of famous. He's kind of famous. So when I got, man, we haven't done the test, but Amy um, told me like when we first started dating, she's like, yeah, no, it's true. We're connected to the fifth president. He's also famous, Monroe. And so it's, but it's through the women's side. Like if you follow the women all the way up to his wife, like there's a connection. So basically I'm related to a president. So if you marry me, like then you would be connected to someone famous, which is kind of awesome, right? But I talked to my dad about this and my dad kind of laughed. My mom actually went back and did the whole family tree thing. And uh, dad's like, yeah, we're not really any. So here's my famous person. Richard Creech came from Scotland and went to Jamestown. Now, if you know anything about American history in Jamestown, this was the second trip to Jamestown. The first trip, everyone was wiped out by Native Americans. The Native Americans were not happy that we were there. Like, and so they said, please leave without saying please. Like they just said, hey, you need to leave. So the second group came over and Richard Creech was in charge of the security force. And he died because the Native Americans then said, yeah, we don't want you here either. And so then mom went back and she said, okay, where in Scotland? And we found out we're from five Scotland. In fact, this is Creech Castle here. Check this out. Yeah, Creech Castle, which is kind of sad looking now. But anyway, back in the day, I guess it, it was a castle and the Creeches were connected to Clan Macduff. Like Macduff, who killed Macbeth in Shakespeare's play. And so my dad's like, basically, son, we're not related to anyone famous. We got a bunch of bad guys and um, hooligans in our family. That's what you need to know. I think that's most of our families, though, right? Most of us, when we look at our family lines, we're like, man, when I look at my tree, it's just a bunch of normal people that the world just kind of forgot about. Maybe even some, some villains, you know, maybe some bad guys in your family. And uh, our, our family trees aren't always the rosy picture of happiness and joy that we would love to have. What's kind of cool, though, is Jesus's family line, when you follow it, is exactly the same. It is just like Hours. Again, good morning, everyone. I am Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor here at Woodside Romeo. Today, we're starting a four-week series called Remind Me. Uh, it is Christmas time, right? When you look around, I need to stop and say thank you to everyone who helped make this happen. I know it took an army of people really working all week long. So thank you. Thank you for caring, making the outside look like that, making the inside look like this. You see the poinsettias. Did you, you already heard what to do with these, right? Some are doing this, some are just giving me, let me tell you one more time, just in case you missed it. Following this service, immediately following the service, I want you to come up and grab one. One per family, right? If every family can come and grab one, it's got a, it's got a plant, or are they plants or flowers? I don't, grab one of these things, just grab one. And, and, and so you also have a card. What I want you to do is I just want you to pray. Lord, who should I be giving this to? There's a card. I want you to fill out the card and let the person, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's someone you work with, and I just want you to tell someone Merry Christmas. It's pretty easy, right? Just take this, 
Give it to someone in the community. Give it to a neighbor. Give it to a coworker. Give it to give it to someone, and just tell them, "Merry Christmas." We were given this challenge at church to take this and to do something with it. And I just, I just want you to know, I really appreciate you being my coworker, being my neighbor, being my whatever service they do, and just say, "Merry Christmas" for me to you. There you go. Okay. So let's do that next week. Next week we're going to have family photos. Right, family photos are next week. It's going to be downstairs. So if you need ugly Christmas sweaters as a family, that's awesome. You can do it if you want to dress fancy and wear fancy pants. You can do that. But there's going to be family photos. The following week, we'll give you a copy of the photo, like a printed out copy. Uh, we're going to have kids singing this. It's going to be an incredible month as as we dive in. You know, I think oftentimes when we think of Christmas, we think of this time where we get together. Right? We get together with friends, we get together with family, and we talk about Christmases that we've had before. Do you remember when? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? What I love about this series is that's what we're doing. We're stopping to say we have to remember that this happened. We have to remember that that happened. And it all takes place in Matthew chapter 1. Let's grab our Bibles. Open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. And it starts off by giving us a list of names. It's a family tree. It's a genealogy of Jesus. It's kind of like, if you go to the first page in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God. Well, it's not the beginning of God's story, right? I mean, that's, that's the beginning of creation's story, but it's not the beginning of God's story. Well, Matthew 1 is kind of like saying, in the beginning, Jesus, even though we know this is not really the beginning of Jesus' story, this is the beginning of the story when he left heaven and came to earth, the greatest missionary who's ever been. And through Matthew 1, we see the promise that God made with Abraham. We see the promise that God made with David. We see that in 2 Samuel 7, 16, it says his throne and kingdom will be established forever before the Lord. But I think so oftentimes what we do is we look in the mirror. When it comes to being part of God's family, we look in the mirror and we think, yeah, I think in the family tree I'm more like one of those normal people and sometimes not even so normal, more of like the bad guy sometimes. But I'm sneaky about it. You know, I cover it up. I hide it. I put on the mask. But I don't, I don't know that I really fit in with the pillars of faith that belong in God's family. I think sometimes there's people who struggle with that. Who say, I, I just don't know that I would consider myself a spiritual giant and someone who should be and could be listed in God's family. And what I love is through this whole conversation, we're going to see that those spiritually important people listed in the genealogy of Jesus, yeah, they weren't really there either. In fact, if we examine, we're going to carefully look at the first set of 14 names of people in Jesus's family, we're going to see that they were a bit less than the spiritual juggernauts that you would expect to be there. And that brings us to the big idea of this. The big idea today is that God's family is open to the humbled and the humiliated. God's family is open to the humbled and the humiliated. There's three ways that God opens the door for the humbled and humiliated. The first is he restores our ruined reputations. Let's look down our Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Word of God says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, 
by Tamar. Now, church, I'm pretty pumped about this series because I think here's what I, I know you would never do this, but I think there's people who when they start to read Matthew chapter one, they read, here's the genealogy, and then they go, and I'm going to skip all that. I'm going to get right down. All right, and back to the story. I know you would never, you never would do that. But you, they're going to be shocked. There's people who do. There are people who do that. What they do is they start reading and they're just going to zoom on down thinking they're getting to the juicy stuff. But this is the juicy stuff. This is it. You see Abraham right there. Now, church, I don't have time to go as deep as I would love to on every single story. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is to jot down a lot of notes so that later this week you can go back and reread these stories. You need to go to Genesis 12. I see all the heads look down right now as you're writing down Genesis 12. That's where Abraham, Abraham had this huge faith. And I'm telling the good part of Abraham, he had this knucklehead part too that we're not going to get into right now. But Abraham trusted God eventually. Right, I'm giving, like, if you don't know the story, I'm giving you some hints and clues right now. Eventually, he trusted God, and he said, I believe that God, who says there's going to be this whole nation from my descendants, I believe that God's going to do something through me and my wife, even though, man, she's old. I mean, I'm pretty old too, but she is so old. I believe that God is going to do something in that place, and he did. And Isaac came again. Please go read the story because when you do, if you haven't read the story and you don't know it, your mouth is going to just drop open. You're going to go, I can't believe that's what happened in Islam. And it's just, it's going to blow your mind. Then Isaac comes. And Isaac also is this man of God. He's a man of faith. He trusted God for his wife, Rebecca, in Genesis 24. All right, again, I just said a scripture, and so what you should be doing is you should be writing that down in your notes to be like, I'm going to go read Genesis 24, and I want to read about Isaac this week. And so he and Rebekah have these two sons, Jacob and Esau, and I wish I could get into Jacob and Esau's story. Because it's another one of those stories that would just blow you away. If you don't already know it, I know most of you know the story of Jacob and Esau, but here's how much. I'm going to fast forward. Let's fast forward to Jacob on down the line. On down the line, he's wrestling with God in Genesis 32. I didn't even write that down. You got it. All right, so Genesis 32, he's wrestling with God. And again, if you know this story, you know, you're like, Billy, how can you skip the beans? You know, you just skip the birthright. How did you skip the? I know, I know, but just stay with me. So we're going, Jacob has this wrestling match with God. At the end of the wrestling match, he never walks the same after that. And God changes his name. Don't miss this. God changes his name to Israel. Isn't that incredible? And then in verse 2, you see that it says Judah and his brothers. That Those are the sons of Israel right there. We know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are the 12 sons of Israel, Judah and his brothers. And then in verse 3, this story slows way, way down. And if you're just skimming it, you miss it. If you just fly it, you're going to miss it. Verse 3, it slows way, way down. And I think it's because you see this name of this woman. In, ordinary, in our stories, we don't skip the women, right? If we skip that, then I wouldn't know about this connection to the fifth president of the United States. And I kind of want to have that connection because it feels really cool to say I'm connected to a president. Right, Dan? Like, kind of good to say I'm connected to a president. Makes you, yeah, it's kind of important. But we only have that through Amy's family. Not only through Amy's family, but really through the women in Amy's family. And that's not the way it often worked when you look at ancient genealogy. 
When you look at ancient genealogy, they would follow the sons. It was all about the sons. But here we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ listed. And right in the middle of that, you see Tamar's name listed. This is incredible. So Judah, Judah finds a wife, Tamar, for his oldest son. But this oldest son dies. And after the oldest son dies, the way that it would ordinarily work in that tradition, if let's say your brother, let's say you're a guy, and let's say your brother dies and you're the next oldest son, if you're not already married, you had a responsibility, an obligation to marry his widow. I know it's kind of weird for us to think that way, but you would have a responsibility, an obligation to marry his widow, his wife. So that the family line could continue. Your life really wasn't your own to do whatever you wanted with. You had this obligation to see that family line continue advancing. And so that's exactly what happened. The next oldest son, Judah's next oldest son, marries Tamar. And he's kind of a, he's kind of a bad guy, right? He doesn't treat her well. And the next thing you know, he dies. And so Judah goes to his daughter-in-law. He goes to Tamar and he says, here's what I want you to do. Just wait. I've got this son named Shelah, which, again, that's a different sermon for a different day about naming your son Shelah. But he says, I've got this son named Shelah, and eventually he's going to grow up. He's going to grow older, and I want you to wait. Please don't get impatient. Don't go marry someone else. Just wait. I want you to marry that son when he's old enough. I want you to have children. I want you to be part of my family. And she waits. And she waits, and he gets old enough, and she's still waiting until finally she gets impatient. She doesn't want to do things the Lord's way. She get, you ever do that? You ever get impatient and just want to do it your way? You know, I'm not going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to just jump ahead, and I'm going to get this plan moving. I'm going to do it how I think it ought to be. That's what she does. She dresses up one day and disguises herself in a way that no one will literally no one will recognize her. Church, she dressed herself up as a prostitute. And then Judah, her father-in-law. I know your head's going to be swimming if you don't know this story, but stay with me. Her father-in-law gets lonely one night and says, I need some companionship tonight. Are you seeing where this is going? I need some companionship tonight. He hires what he thinks is a prostitute. The whole time, it's his daughter-in-law, and she conceives and has two kids. Is this not the most twisted thing you've ever heard? It's incredible. So if you're one of those people that you've asked yourself, I wonder if the Bible's true. I'm just trying to figure out, can I trust the Bible? Can I believe the Bible? Let me ask you this. If you were going to make up a story, would you ever put Tamar's name listed? Would you ever write that? Because I don't think I would. I think I like to hide my skeletons, and I think you do too. I think so oftentimes when we have those areas, when we look in the mirror, those areas we're embarrassed of, we don't want to talk about those. We want to bury those as deep as we possibly can. And yet right here, what we have with Tamar's story being included is we find evidence, we find scripture screaming at us that no matter what you have been through, no matter what shame you have, no matter what embarrassment you have in your life, that God's family is open to all of us. Isn't that amazing? Just right there in the genealogy of Jesus, leaping off the pages and screaming this at us. God shows grace to Judah. He lied. He didn't keep his word. 
God shows grace to Judah. God showed grace to Tamar. Because right here she is, listed in Scripture as the great-grandmother on down the line of the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what shame you felt. I don't know what kind of things you've said or thought. I don't know what your family's like to where you would ever think, well, I, I come in, but I don't know that I'm like those church people. I don't know that I'm good enough really to be accepted by God. We see evidence right here that God's family is open to the humbled and the humiliated, to every single one of us. Next, we're going to see that God's, God covers our disgrace. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. So this, this is intriguing because we, we try, I think, a lot of times to hide our humiliation. You know, we try to hide those skeletons, those things where we're embarrassed. We try to hide it. And yet again, in Scripture, we see something beautiful where God is the one who will cover and hide our humiliation. We have a lot of names listed where we don't know a lot about these individuals, right? Because it'll use their name, but doesn't tell us a whole lot about their story. And so it goes through. It talks about Ram and Aminadab and Nashon and Salmon. But all of a sudden, you see Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Rahab is a name that probably almost all of you, you're going, wait a second, I know that name. I know that yesterday I was working on this sermon, and I tend to practice out loud at home over and over and over on Saturdays. That's how I spend my Saturdays. And when I got to this part, Gabe is like, Dad, I know that name. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know that name? Just test name, right? Pastor kid, let's see if you know. He goes, she was the prostitute, right? Goes, That's right, buddy. She was. So in Joshua chapter 2, the people are entering into the promised land. But it doesn't mean that everyone in the promised land said, oh, no, cool, you can come in and have the land. Like the Native Americans didn't do that with, with Jamestown either, right? They don't just say, oh, yeah, come on in. Like that's not what happened. And so you have these huge cities that are walled, and that's what they had with Jericho. So they come up to Jericho. You have these huge walls. And so Joshua's there saying, we have to see who's in there. We have to see what's going on. So he sends a couple spies into the city. And as he said, you guys know this story. As the spies go into the city, they're discovered, right? They're kind of caught. Word gets out that there's a couple spies in the city. And in the midst of that, Rahab sees the power of Almighty God. She has faith. Even she's a prostitute, yes, but she has faith. And she hides and protects the spies, and her story continues to be told generation after generation after generation to all the Hebrew people to where in the New Testament, the hall of faith, Hebrews 11.31 says this. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You see, she was known by her great sin. Everyone in the city, they knew who Rahab was. They knew her profession. And yet, because of her faith, God covers that. Do you see that? What we know her for today is her great faith 
in the Lord. Did any of you watch Downton Abbey back in the day? Yes, Amy did. So at home, here's kind of our rhythm. What we do at home is Amy likes to watch shows like Downton Abbey, and I do not. And um, so what we will do, but there's a rule. Like we've learned over 25 years of marriage, we've learned our rhythms. And like she's not okay with Billy, you just go into the basement or go somewhere else around the house or just go to, and I'll say all by myself in the living room. She doesn't like to be all by herself. She doesn't like that at all. And so our rule is, in the evenings, at least for a few hours, I have, to, I have to sit there, right? I have to be in the living room. As she watches shows like Downton, I don't have to watch, though. Like, I can read my book. I can do whatever I want to do. Um, but I, I don't have to watch the show. So anyway, I've been told, because I didn't really watch it. I'm just being honest. I've been told that uh, Downton Abbey, there was a particular storyline that was a famous storyline where there was one of the servants in the house saw something that, is it Lord Grantham? Is that his name? Yeah, Lord Grantham. Lord Grantham's daughter had done some questionable things. Do you guys know the storyline I'm talking about? She had done some questionable things, and so she was being blackmailed by one of the servants. And like for a huge sum of money, she was being blackmailed by one of the servants for a huge sum of money, or I'm going to tell everyone everything you've done. And all of a sudden, the father powerfully uses his reputation and authority to silence the blackmailer and cover his daughter's tainted reputation. And all she can do, this is huge, all that she can do in this whole situation is acknowledge her need. See, that's what happens when we go to the Lord in faith. There's this place that we have to cut. Now, if you see yourself as an Abraham or a David, and you're like, I'm pretty awesome, you need to go back and read about Abraham and David because they were messes, like they were absolute messes. And maybe we might be too, right? <laughs> but if you go saying, why well, I feel a lot like Rahab, you know, I, I feel like that person who maybe is unclean, there's something right about that, about going to God and saying, God, I need you. Now, probably you have never been a prostitute as a job, probably. But every single one of us, spiritually, we kind of commit forms of prostitution, don't we? Spiritually, we do. You know what it looks like for us today? There's God, and he is holy, and he is awesome, and yet we turn to idols in our lives the idol may be fitness, the idol may be your job, the idol may be popularity. We turn to the idols and we seek our satisfaction in the world. And when you do that, when you seek your satisfaction in the world, you've created idols. You've created other gods around you. You have prostituted your very faith to everything else. And there's something about going to God and saying, God, here I am. I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you to cover that sin because of my faith in you. I need you. And that's exactly what he does. Isn't that beautiful? Like that's what this whole reminder of Christmas is all about. And God doesn't just leave us there in the sin. Like when you think about Rahab, again, this great, great, great grandmother of the Messiah, in Psalm 32, Scripture says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered that's what Jesus did on the cross. The blood shed on the cross was to cover our sins once 
once and for all. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. When you place your faith in Jesus, that sin that we remember so quickly, he throws into the sea of forgetfulness. He says it's as far away as the east is from the west. That's what he says about it. Now, church, this is not permission just to say, hey, let's all go free willy-nilly. Like, you can just go sin and do whatever you want to because he's going to forgive it anyway. No, this is this place where we say, I am truly going to repent. To repent means to turn from our sin and to turn to the Lord. It means that I am being transformed into Christ's likeness. That's what it means. My life is not my own. I am supposed to live as Christ in this place, which brings me to the last point this morning, and that is that God includes the excluded. He inc- you ever felt excluded in something? Like someone forgot about you just a little bit? Look back down at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. The last way God opens his family to the humble and humiliated is to include the very people that would seem excluded. And again, I wish I could just do a whole sermon just on Ruth, because I think it's so appropriate. Ruth, if you don't know, she's this foreigner, right? She's a, she's a Gentile. In fact, all these women we've talked about today, they're all either Gentiles or have very strong connections to Gentiles. They're not Jewish. God's family is open to you, whether you're man, woman, Jew, Gentile, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all of us. This is an all play, okay? So Ruth marries this Jewish man, but he dies, And so she's going with her mother-in-law, and she's going back to Israel. But there's a problem. There's a famine in the whole land. Like, people literally are starving to death and dying. And because she's on the way and she's not just, she is the very, very bottom of the barrel. Like, she is, in fact, she is, she's going to die. She's destined. She has no hope in the world. She's absolutely hopeless. The story of Ruth, though, comes to this crescendo with Boaz. Boaz is this honorable man, one who could legitimately marry her and secure her future, providing his love and care for her, even though she was an outsider. You ever felt like an outsider? You see, when it comes to to this genealogy of Jesus, we see Ruth, we see Rahab, we see Tamar, we see all these outsiders. Scripture could have talked about um, some of the some of the more popular women, the women who did what they were supposed to, and yet we go to Ruth, Rahab, and and Tamar, the great-grandmother of King David. I think what happens sometimes when we come to church, I think we expect if you want to be an insider, you got to have your stuff together. You know, you got to have a good job, and you got to use some church words sometimes. People like when you use church words. You got to be real good at praying out loud. You've got to, you know, we have all these things that we expect. You got to dress right, and you got to talk right, and you got to drive the right thing, and you got to, and we have all these external factors on what makes us insiders. And the reality is, when it comes to God's family, there are no outsiders and insiders. We can all be part of God's family. That's really what this tree is about, right? This tree, you're seeing a few presents over here already. By next week, you're going to be seeing gobs of presents because we're partnered with the Samaritan house this year. And last week, we set up this this tree and everyone took the cards off the trees. And this week and next week, people are bringing presents back. It's going to be packed full of presents that are going to go to people in, in our community. And it's just a reminder to us 
that there are no outsiders and insiders. Someone may be poor, needy, or broken, but we're all sinners in need of grace. Every single one of us. Matthew 1, 1 through 6 shows us that God's family is just as open to the outsider as it is to the insider. God includes the excluded. So I want to, um, I want to end with a question today. Where do you find yourself in God's family tree? Where do you find yourself? I know that most in this room, you would say, yeah, I remember that moment. I remember that moment that I threw open my heart and I said, Lord, here I am. Here, I, I, I need you. And by faith, by faith, I believe. I believe that Jesus did come. That's what Christmas is about. I believe that Jesus did come. A light piercing the darkness in this world that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, that on the third day he conquered death and rose again. Lord, I believe most of you in this room have done that, but yet there's some who haven't. There's some where you haven't done that because of shame, because of skeletons in the closet, because you think, how in the world could God save a sinner like me? The reality is there's no outsiders, there's no insiders. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So why not start this Christmas with the most amazing gift in the world? You know those gifts, when we give them to someone, we're going to give them, it won't cost them a thing, will it? They don't have to pay, they don't have to earn it. It's just gonna be given and they're gonna be told Merry Christmas, that's it. It's just gonna be given, Merry Christmas. When you place your faith in Jesus, I think sometimes what we try to do is we try to earn our way to heaven. We try to be good enough. That's what grace is about. It's about us not being good enough to be able to earn it. There is a free gift that's given to us. And even though it doesn't cost us anything, it costs Jesus everything. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for For the proof in Scripture that your kingdom, your family, is for the broken, the humiliated. Lord, I thank you for rescuing me. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for the right standing that I have with the Lord. Lord, for those in this room who have never done that, I pray that today... Today they find you. Today they find life. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask the question, is that you? Do you feel like I've been talking to you this morning? That all these stories, you're like, yeah, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to have people talk about me. I know what it feels like to be the outsider. I know what it feels like to be rejected. I know because of that, I've been pushing God away. Almost like I need to get clean enough first to be in his presence. Listen, here's the truth. You can't get clean enough. You can't do that on your own. That's why Jesus came. He did what you and I can't do. And through faith in him, what happens is when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. That's why we place our faith in Christ. And so if that's you today, if you've never placed your faith 
in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. On the count of three, I just want you to put your hands straight up. If you've never done that, just to be able to say, you know what, today's my day. I have been rejecting and pushing him away, but I am done with that today. I am placing my faith in Jesus as Lord. On the count of three, just throw your hands straight up. One, two, three. Hands straight up if that's you. God bless you right there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Listen, if that's you, I just want you to pray with me. And it's not the words that saves you. It's not your throwing up of your hand. It's the faith in Jesus in your heart. Just have this place of saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Even in that place when I, I'm a sinner, you still love me. Or I know I've sinned. I know that I'm not perfect. I know I have fallen short of your glory. God, I believe. I believe you sent Jesus who did live a perfect and sinless life. Jesus, I believe that you were crucified and nailed to a cross that on the cross you paid the penalty for my sins. And I believe that on the third day you rose from the dead. And I want to serve a risen Savior. So I'm placing my faith and my trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we sing this morning.